From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. The federal government is trying to manage a containment of the exploding cost of the landmark National Disability Insurance Scheme. It's generally agreed the NDIS has been a great reform. But with the prediction it could be approaching a cost of $100 billion annually in a decade, the government knows spending has to be reined in. However, it's a highly sensitive area, affecting so many vulnerable people. When National Cabinet decided last week to aim to reduce the cost increase from the current 14% annually down to 8% by 2026, representatives of the disability sector hit back hard. At present, the number of people on the scheme is approaching 600,000 and growing. 10% of boys aged 5 to 7 are on the NDIS. This financial year, it will cost more than $35 billion, two-thirds paid by the federal government. Originally, the federal-state split was supposed to be 50-50. NDIS Minister Bill Shorten has identified areas for reform. As well, the government has a review underway. The states are under pressure to have their various programs take up more of the load. Shorten appointed disability advocate Kurt Fernley, well known to many Australians for his stellar Paralympic record, as chair of the National Disability Insurance Authority, which implements the scheme. Fernley is now in the front line of the effort to make the scheme more fit for purpose and financially sustainable. He joins us today to discuss how the NDIS can change while ensuring that those who need it are protected. Kurt Fernley, how would you describe the present condition of the NDIS? The Minister said it's lost its way. Do you think it needs root and branch change or more limited reform? Uh, is is there a is there a third option that lands somewhere in between all of that? Uh, I think that this scheme is servicing five hundred ninety thousand people, and and a, a huge percentage of this scheme it is working really well for. That we are getting, you know, we are getting outcomes. We have seen a change, but there are parts of the scheme that would require pretty pretty fundamental reform. Uh, the, I would say though that the Whenever you're talking about the, the community as in the services provided for people with disabilities, I think the reform will need to be driven and will need to walk hand in hand in the, with the participant. So I might sound like a politician, which was the absolute, that was the, the opposite of the intention of ever taking this role, but I would I would land somewhere in between. So can you run us through the areas that are presently to be addressed? Well, I think that the that the announcement of the investment in the agency is well, it's one of the most significant investments into the NDIA that that we've ever seen. It, it will allow us to build a an agency that is better positioned to answer and respond to the participant in a in a in a quicker way, but also be able to build an agency that is better positioned to ensure that we are focused on the outcomes that we all fought for. The intent with this scheme was that we would we would have a an agency managing a scheme that would create more independence and more inclusion into mainstream environment and services through the NDIA. I think that the firstly the investment in the agency will allow us to do a lot more of that. I think that 
also the continued investment in fraud, which is, I think that we will continually get better at that. Um, And I think that we will also see the, I think with a lot of the initiatives, it's about bringing community in to finding a a pathway that is both participant-centred and outcome-focused. This this scheme has been working for a lot of communities. Unfortunately, it's also had its complications with ensuring that we are engaging with First Australians in a way that is appropriate, that allows the Indigenous Australians the ability to be able to thrive on this scheme. So there's lots of areas of reform, but it will all hinge on whether or not we're able to create a system that has the participants' voice heard at every step. Is one problem that providers who are not fraudsters are quite honest traders, but some providers are just making too much profit out of the activities under the scheme? I think that there are always going to be uh, providers that are not the uh, uh, the most reliable of partners. Um, I, I, I would hate to make any suggestion, uh, knowing that there are incredible providers out there that are that are forward leaning, that are outcomes focused, that are that are doing amazing things to to, to the lives of people with disabilities. Uh, every single day. Uh, What we need to do with this reform is ensure that every dollar that we spend, that goes to making the lives of people with disabilities better and not in the pockets of of, uh, the the less reliable partner that is seeking pure profit out of this scheme. The the scheme needs to ensure that we are engaging and partnering with with the community that is invested in the outcomes for people with disabilities. That is who we're out there after and that is who I think will have a long long pathway with us on the scheme. Now, apart from the immediate uh, reforms and changes that are being flagged, there's this review that's underway, uh, which is reporting uh, in October. How does that fit in? I think it's one of the most, it was was almost fundamental to me taking the job is that we had uh, the, the opportunity to have a 10-year review that was that was filled with the uh, with the expertise and the and the and the voice of people with disabilities I there were there was an opportunity that we could create pathways uh, through the advice of the review which is where a lot of these initiatives have been born out of um, but there are there are real questions that require care, thought, and also to ensure that there is engagement with community so that when we uh, get to the other side of October, we've had this benefit, we benefit from an independent review, independent of government, independent of the NDIA, that will offer us pathways, suggestions of how to be better. Um, I, I think that it's a real opportunity to ensure that when we do reform, which is it is a reform board. We do have 50% of the board being people with disabilities. It is a reform executive where 30% of the senior leadership team are people with disabilities. 20% of the overall scheme are people with disabilities. We're here to reform, but we're here to reform around the participant and also be guided of the hard, diligent consultation that the review have been doing. There was a lot of reaction the other day when National Cabinet agreed to a target of containing cost rises to 8% by 2026. 
Is the reason for people to be alarmed, however, given that this would still allow for growth in real terms? And how do you counter the concern that's been generated? I'd say a lot of the concern was driven out of the reporting of the the scheme being fundamentally capped at 8%. The belief that there is a there is a cap on the growth is also linked to a cap on the scheme. Now, this is a, a demand-driven scheme, and, and I'm not sure uh, we're growing up with the disjointed block-funded system that we had. Your life was always, always defined as a person with a disability within caps, within boxes that you were unable to get out of. It felt like it felt like that box, that, that cap that was put on your life was also so infrequently had any voice of, of people with disabilities in the creation of that. It, it felt like you were constantly having your life kind of defined and redefined in such limited windows with such limited outcomes focus. So as soon as the conversation started towards CAP, that is a conversation that people with disabilities have been having for for 50 years. And, and, and it would be also a fundamental reform to the scheme and also be operating outside of the legislation. So I, I, I would say that it was the, the the fear of a number and then the fear of a, of a, of a concept that fundamentally kind of, it would alter what this, what I would say is also in, in an incredible scheme uh, that has pushed against this limitations ideology and that I think was one of the one of the major fears. Um, look, uh, I think that the community also, when you have people with disabilities, so much seems to be plonked on you, uh, and and then you've just got to figure it out. These sink or swim moments. Now, I I see the 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 eight percent as a as an aspirational target that I actually do. We're we're close to it with our projections in front of us, but we have always spoken about. I think I must have said it a hundred times that if you reform this scheme with the voice of the participant within it, with an outcomes uh, uh, focus, um, and ensure that we have the guide rails that are set by people with disabilities, we will get more outcomes, and we will also get it at better, better um, value, I guess, or uh, a better, um, a better number at the end of the day as well. Now, I think the the, the caution can be addressed with. How we take this pathway forward—that's the—that's—that's that's the only way I think. You mentioned that the scheme is demand-driven, but has it extended into areas which were not originally uh, intended for it to cover? I think that it's created a system where if you are a person with a disability, it seems like it is the only pathway. So if you are in the, in the, in, in the middle of an ocean and there is only one lifeboat, then that is, that is the, 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 the thing that, we, that is there. It's, and, and I would say that this, the, the, the scheme is servicing 590,000 people and we didn't imagine it, that it would grow to, to those sorts of numbers. Um, but whenever we start talking about is it covering areas and, and trying to pit, you know, one disability group against the other, um, it, it, it is, it is, it's, it's really 
I think a, a conversation that needs to be had over a long period of time that that builds trust and builds an evidence base and and also reiterating with care the the question that every participant would be asking uh, government and and us that if you aren't there who is so if we are talking about children going onto the scheme, if the NDIA is not servicing and, and giving uh, giving structure to a, an individual's life with a disability and their family, then if we're not there, who's going to do it? And a lot of the costs in the scheme, they are costs that previously were hidden behind the lives of people with disabilities. They were being paid. The, the, the financial implications, they were, they were still there in, in many instances, but they were hidden and like a, a, a hidden mortgage behind disabled lives. So when we go forward and, and we do have the amazing, and this is one of the most important, um, I, I think, uh, well, this is what we benefit the, the most, is that we have a review that has been engaging with every corner of this country and all variation of disability within the scheme to try and ensure that we find a pathway that, that, allows a um that allows a, a an individual no matter where they sit in the scheme a chance to live a good life now there's been much discussion about children with relatively mild autism coming under the scheme and that that was not the original intention and in some cases diagnoses seem to be made in ways that uh, get the the children onto the NDIS. Is this something that will have to be tackled and should the problems of these children in fact be directed to uh, other areas of, uh, of, of treatment and, and looking after? Yeah, well, that's, it's, it's, it's the conversation about if we're not operating in their space, who is? When it comes to also those entering in the schemes, you know, it's, I don't like to talk about this scheme as a divided by disability group on top of disability groups, but when it comes to the child's experience in the scheme, I do think that we, as an agency, we do need to be better. Uh, we get a parent enter into this incredibly complex world of disability, and it's almost the the idea of this, what I believe is a beautiful part of the scheme, but the choice and control element of the scheme doesn't allow the, the guidance that um, I think that we can better at. So uh, I, I, I think when it comes to defining the limit of the scheme as a type, a disability type or not, it's, I don't, I don't know whether we're going to get the outcomes that we're all, we're all hoping. And that is a reform scheme that has participants' outcomes at heart and also allows a level of prediction to government when it comes to the funding envelope that that, that I think is a responsible management of the scheme. Do you think that there's a danger that uh, getting some of these children with very mild disability onto the scheme can be counterproductive for them rather than sending them to other areas of uh, treatment? I think that the child's, the child's experience is complicated, that I, that I, I mean, I'm definitely not an expert at, but... I would say that sometimes a continued individualised process without, you know, this this guidance from the agency can be incredibly overwhelming. 
it can be an incredibly <laughs> scary journey. So I think what we need to do is to continue to get better as an agency to be a trusted partner so that we ensure that we also encourage the the, the innovation when it comes to participants and a, a young person, a child's experience within the scheme, the confidence to be able to stretch into mainstream services. But also I think that we need to make sure that those mainstream services are there. Um, and and I, I always see this review, you know, like it's, it's a review of 10 years of the NDIA, but I think they are also reviewing the entire system of services that give a better experience for people with disabilities outside and inside the scheme. And I think that's one of the one of the bits of uh, work that the reviewer doing that I, I can't wait to the other side of October to get that get the benefit of the consultation and the wisdom of uh, of people with disabilities that have in good faith been engaging with the scheme. Can you just explain a, a bit more your reference to a, a scary experience? And obviously, it's it's parents who are putting these quite young children onto the scheme. It, it's not the children themselves making the decision. I had a mother, a, a mother, um, she broke down at the, she was in tears describing her interactions between the agency and a service provider where we speak about, we, we, we encourage an evidence-based approach to, uh, to the experience of the child within the scheme. And then uh, this, this parent, is speaking about how they, you know, they felt like their child was considered an ATM to a to a third party service, and I couldn't imagine navigating the world of disability overnight. I, I, I'm, I got to learn my experience over over decades that I could find a way that I could engage with mainstream services in a way that made my life better. I was able to find a way to what services that I needed. They were centred around making me more independent, making me engage with the community at a at a greater level. Um, and I found that over decades. Now, we have a parent who lands in um, a reformed system of choice and control overnight, and, and then they have to plot out a, a pathway for their child. I can't imagine the fear of that. I'm a I'm a dad of I just had 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 twins six weeks ago and the thought that if I was a non-disabled uh, person and 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 thrown into the world of disability to navigate their lives right now um, I would I would find that incredibly intimidating and and that's what I mean about the fear of 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 that experience and that's where I speak about that we as an agency we need to be a better partner for that experience and. And we need to make sure that we play a greater role in, in assisting that, that participant to be able to live that good life. And, and the good life often isn't, um, you know, the size of the package or, or the good life isn't that. The good life is the ability to be able to engage with the community in which they live. That's less segregation. That's more independence. I must say it's quite hard to understand from outside a scheme that's supposed to have made it easier for people to navigate services and uh, getting what they need that, in fact, on, on your account, at least in some cases, has made it harder. Well, I think that choice and control is beautiful to one and, and tough for others. Uh, we're, we're, 
we have built this incredible system, right? Like it is, it is there servicing 590,000 people all with their unique uh, experience with disability and, and the, it's the choice and control element that I think could be overwhelming for, for a new participant. It's, it's fundamentally reforming in, a, in, an, in an incredible, uh, bloody amazing, empowering concept for an individual with disability who, who has never, in, in many instances, never asked what they want out of life, but jammed the, you know, the, jammed the block-funded system down into their life without consultation. So I, th- I think that's, the, that's how I'm trying to kind of describe this. Disability is one of the most complex experiences in life. I, I, I've, uh, again, as a, as a person with a disability, I've been able to find my pathway over a long period of time. Um, and that's where I think the choice and control element is amazing, but I do think it has uh, it has its challenges in other parts. Kurt Fernley, thanks very much for talking with us today. You've got a, a big job ahead and uh, good luck with it. That's all for today's Conversation Politics podcast. We'll be back with another interview soon. Thanks to my producer, Mikey Burnett. Goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.